Well, a listener rang in the other day and said how much they enjoy the quirky news segment of the program, which is nice to see and is, of course, a great credit to Errol Smith, who joins us on the line. G'day, Errol. G'day, David. And Brian Smith, who is over in New Zealand at the moment. Brian, thanks for taking the time. G'day, David. And so I will begin with a story which uh, talks about the straddling bus. You may have seen the story a week or two ago. A Beijing company has unveiled a spectacularly futuristic design for a pollution-busting elevated bus. It's capable of gliding over the traffic jams, for which, of course, urban China has become notorious. It works a bit like a catamaran. It keeps the two sides down over the top of two traffic lanes. It's said to carry uh, 1,400 commuters and can be produced for 20% of the price of an underground train. Brian, is this a viable public transport alternative? David, I think it's got quite a few challenges to it. Uh, I, you would have seen the model on display, which is a, basically a scale model driving around on the track. Now, this, this idea has been around for about six years, and it hasn't really developed very far. And, and no wonder, it's kind of like a train on the, the wheels, on, a steel wheels on a track, and it has articulations, but I can't see any way that it can get around corners and go up and down hills with the the design and the weight of the thing. I think it's a, an idea that is going to go nowhere. Uh, it was a lovely idea in a nice flat environment where there are no overhead bridges that you might cause you some difficulty. And very disciplined drivers who stay in their lanes. Yeah, I was wondering about that because it looks like anybody going underneath wouldn't be able to get out of the lane that they're in. Certainly not with a bus on top of them. That's right. Not when once the bus is there, you're stuck underneath it. And if a car was turned across an intersection, you know, in front of other people, then the whole system would have to stop for them, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think there's quite a few questions that it's a failed answer. It might also be hard to see people if they're under that thing. If you're trying to turn across the traffic, a vehicle might be just a bit of the way up underneath this particular type of bus structure and you wouldn't be able to see it. The, the thing, though, that I think it raises is the notion of looking at a, what we would now call a road corridor and think of it as a transport corridor. How are we going to use the space? Now, in this case, I think it's a nice thought, but it's not going to become practical. But we are going to have to look differently in the future about what we allow in each individual lanes, how we manage that, how we allow perhaps different things, not just bus lanes, but other alternatives as well. And I was wondering, can you drive a normal bus under this thing? <laughs> otherwise, you've lost, lost your bus lane. When I heard, first heard the term straddling bus, I just thought it was a strange yoga pose. <laughs> <laughs> or perhaps a more intimate kind of position, but uh, obviously not a not a realistic transport solution. No, I think it uh, makes people get all rather happy, but I'm not sure it's going to do much difference. Errol, you have a story. When you order a taxi, you've got a pretty good idea of what to expect, but with Uber, it's a bit of a gamble as to whether you'll get a clean, recent model with a good driver or a teenager driving an old rust bucket. Well, to play on this uncertainty, a prankster in Dubai took over his friend's account... But rather than picking people up in his mate's Toyota Previa, what we call the Tarago, he showed up in a bright yellow and chrome-painted Bugatti Veyron convertible. 
fitted out with a whole bunch of cameras, of course, to record the experience. Not surprisingly, once the shock had worn off, everyone uh, who had ordered the Uber driver got in for the ride, which often included a brief feel of the 1,000 plus horsepower of the thing. Aside from being yellow, which is a traditional taxi colour, it's probably not what anybody was expecting. You could guarantee that the driver would do all the talking though, wouldn't he? This is my car and this is what it's got and look how it goes. And I, I would think that well, a taxi driver themselves can often do a lot of the talking. I think this would guarantee it. Certainly <laughs> want your passengers to be well behaved and sober. It's hardly the sort of car you want to hose out, is it? Correct. <laughs> <laughs> This is not new. Autobuzz did it in 2013 in a McLaren. The only thing was, it was a horrible purple colour. I don't know why anyone allowed a McLaren to be painted in such a horrible-looking colour. Uh, it proves that perhaps money does not guarantee with taste. So there it was an exotic car that turned up, but it was an ugly-looking one. Yeah, well, even their Bugatti was pretty garish. It's bright yellow and, and half of it's painted in, in bright reflective chrome. But no, no matter how fancy it is, he still can't use the bus line. Uh, no, that's exactly right. I wonder if they have surge pricing. If you could then say, I will want one of these, but I, I don't want a Toyota Prius. I want to have something exotic. Perhaps we could get a special service. Yeah where you get delivered in an exotic car. You know, if you're going to an important meeting or if you're going to turn up at the red carpet, you could hire perhaps one of these as, and look as though it's your own. Mm, so it's more of an Uber Uber. <laughs> uh, what happened, though, if you turned up and picked up the guy and the guy said, ah, very good, obviously it's a fake. Would that not take the wind out of your sails? Oh, uh, yeah, replica. Yeah, that's got an old VW engine in the back, doesn't it? The ideal sort of thing, though, to sort of go to the end-of-year dance. And I tell you what, that might be a lot cheaper. Have you seen the prices of renting a stretched limo to go to an end-of-year dance? It's about $1,000 an hour for some of them. It's an enormous price. Mm. David, you'd have to go uh, to uh, use Uber by, uh, with irony. <laughs> I want something like this if I ever had an ex, you know, a partner who left me or whatever. I could drive past their place and sort of wave. I think that might be good. Brian, this is a story that I think is made for you. What have you got? Well, David, often there's a lot of protein wasted on the side of the road. And if you, every time you hit something and kill it on the road, and in Australia we've got lots of roadkill, but we've got people telling us now that we should be eating roadkill. They, uh, they list a whole lot of reasons for... Uh, for doing this, that it uh, it's makes ecological sense, it's ethical and cheap, and it's mostly safe. Uh, reading through the article, I was thinking, yes, roadkill, good idea, you could harvest it, it's plenty of it uh, laying around in the outback in particular, but then when I started reading the safety aspects, they say, well, you know, a few of the diseases carried by roadkill can cross over to humans, and, uh, you know, you probably won't catch rabies, you might not get parasites or tuberculosis so hey give it a try just stay away from the livers david would you eat roadkill <laughs> brian you used a number of words there few probably and might not <laughs> in terms of my health they are not reassuring words it's not certain enough it certainly raised some uh, alarm bells uh, with me and I, I think the other aspect is you want to be absolutely certain that something is dead before you stick it in the car and take it home mm. 
Yes, and, and you also don't want to encourage killing things on purpose. But, no, um, that's right. And, of course, Australia's got a long history of recipes for roadkill, and, of course, the most famous one, I think, is for cockatoos, where you put the cockatoo in a pot of boiling water with a stone, and uh, when the stone is soft, you eat the stone and you throw away the cockatoo. Well, of course, insects are said to be the way to feed the world. So perhaps to get a meal, you drive around the block and mm. get a few insects yeah, on there. pull them out of your, your radiator. Mm. Uh, off the windscreen. Instead of a windscreen wiper, you could have a windscreen spatula. <laughs> People might clean your window at the service station for free. They, maybe they're hungry. In return for the protein. <laughs> Would you clean my window? Hang on, I'll just put on a bib. Well, depending what you read, apparently you need a hunter's license in Australia to eat roadkill. Really? Oh, it's a little little inconsistent. I read that in one, one of the, uh, the articles. The idea of some fresh, free venison sounds good on paper, except that you really don't want to be in a vehicle that hits something <laughs> like right. that. I'd rather I, be following a big truck. Through yeah, the I, 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 had, I had a near miss with a... I don't know, a buck or something, and it was massive. I wouldn't have want to hit that thing at all. You'll have to eat it if you can't afford to fix your car. <laughs> Stuck by the side of the road, at least you won't be hungry. That's right. <laughs> well, you could pay for it. I'll give you the back rear quarter if you fix my car. I wonder if we could produce a reality TV show here, sort of MasterChef mixes with car racing. So you <laughs> race around the street, you have to hit the thing, then you have to go and cook it. That's a beautiful idea. Roadkill TV, yeah. Should we start renaming our roads that, that are good sources of roadkill? We could have Slaughterhouse Lane, Butcher Road, Stir Fry Street. Local roads could be entrees and motorways could be main courses. Doesn't make ecological sense in a way, doesn't it? Because if we start eating all the roadkill, what happens to the scavengers? Uh, that's a good point, David. The dingoes and such, I guess, yeah, we're in competition then, aren't we? Ah, it's real us versus them. Top mm. of the food pyramid, the food, we're on the food chain, top of it. Of course, if you then have deliveries to the supermarket, they might get from both the back and the front of the truck. It adds whole new meaning to Woolworths, the fresh food people, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. I wonder then if we could consider it in the analysis of the cost-benefit of reducing speed limits. If we reduce speed limits, we reduce the amount of roadkill. So we could be denying the poor. Oh, gosh, David, that's a very complicated piece of uh, calculation. <laughs> People will use any excuse to not reduce the speed limit. Yeah, well, so instead of kilometres per hour, it could be kills per hour. Kills per hour. Now, Brian, you have a story of road safety. Certainly, David. This is about technology helping to save animals on the road and possibly also humans. Queensland has a problem with cassowaries being killed, particularly young ones, on their roads. And the, the Premier and the Roads and Road Safety Minister, Mark Bailey, have announced um, vehicle-actuated signs around Mission Beach, which is part of the uh, Cassowary Rehabilitation Centre in Queensland. So the idea is, is if you're driving a bit fast, the sign lights up to, tells you, to tell you that you're moving into an area at risk of uh, running into cassowaries. Now, uh, they're a bit of a, a rare and protected animal, and here technology is going to, I guess, help to avoid people killing our, uh, our bush animals. Yeah. The Cassowary Rehabilitation Centre. They sound like they're being looked after pretty well. Oh, they get, they get off the track a little bit and, uh, you know, they start hanging around with some of the wrong animals. 
And uh, rather than you know, leading to a life of crime, they, uh, I think they can get them back on the straight and narrow here. Uh, so this is saying, look, we try to look after you. You should try and look after yourself. Well, right. they're kind of like prehistoric death chickens. They're, they're an amazingly large animal, and they have very strong feet and claws. So uh, if you're walking, they can be quite a danger to you. In a car, not so much, but mm. I think the danger works the other way. Yes, well, well, some of our listeners may not be familiar with this native animal of North Queensland. Uh, it's, it's cassowary is basically a, an ugly emu. <laughs> it's got a big sort of shark fin on its head, yes, isn't it? Yes, tall, bright, it bright blue, right. yeah, yes. 1.8 metres or more tall. They're very powerful uh, animals that uh, eat sort of seeds and, um, and uh, fruit in the uh, jungle. Hmm. Of course, if we get into roadkill, which we will talk about in a while, we should uh, perhaps put up the sign of a cassowary like a chicken on a skewer being cooked. Oh, okay. So you carry with you a bit of uh, string so you can tie the legs together and a bit of bread for stuffing. Mm. Well, they're pretty big. I think they could go on a rotisserie. (laughs) I think they're about the third largest or second largest bird in Australia perhaps even you know in the world i think they're they're really very mm. very big you know third or so in the world i guess emus and ostriches and what have you would be ahead of it but it, it's not it's not small as you say mm. yeah yeah it's not not far behind an emu in uh, in terms of size so they do a lot of damage to vehicles when they get hit but they usually don't survive, obviously. Although when, when I first saw the headline to this story, I, I thought, so, so there's a flashing sign to it, the cassowaries know that there's a car coming? <laughs> yes. No, no we're not, we don't care about them that much. The sign is for the drivers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's rather good. There's a whole, the government's going to put out a television campaign for the cassowary, you know, there's, to try and discourage them from doing silly things on the road. All right, gentlemen, that's lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. No worries, Thanks, David. David.